Have you ever glanced at a person and caught your eyes lingering for a few extra moments? Have you noticed that some people have a certain sparkle about them in the way they walk or in the way they talk? You wouldn't be alone, dear listener. In fact, what many of us don't realize is that magic leaves traces everywhere. I've spent many years traveling the world, meeting new people and scouting magical children who don't know who they are yet, but to me seem practically perfect in every way. Run along with me as I recount the wondrous tales of my blessed career as a Hogwarts recruiter for other fellow muggle-born children just waiting for their chance to be found. I am your host, Mary Travers, and this is Mary's Muggleborns. Well, my goodness, that was quite the introduction. Thank you for joining me, dear listener, because it's very important you're here from the beginning. I'd like to start our friendship with a story about a little girl named Mary. In an average house, on an average street, in the middle of the East End of London, there was a family, a normal, happy, proper family. The Travers were just the right sort, with all the right mannerisms and all the right friends, who always ensured they kept with the trends. The Travers fancied themselves as perfectly posh by gosh. They were prim and proper and never did anything on a whim. They were the last sort of people to be involved in anything improper, because, no, no, they just weren't that sort. But, you see, the Travers family had a secret, and one they abhorred. They had a daughter named Mary, who got a little silly when bored. Mr. and Mrs. Travers, and even Mary's older brother Gary, all agreed that Mary was hardly the right sort for pedigree. It started off small with a whisper or a brush, but when Mary was a baby, she got into so much. And then the first time occurred when she was only three, for they found her on the ceiling, drinking her tea. But the Travers couldn't stomach her random, odd incidents. They were disgusted and disgruntled, and they needed new residents. They tried very hard to make her quite normal, for the Travers were, as you might say, quite formal. All right, enough of the rhyming. My apologies, it's an old habit. Now back to our little Mary. When she got bored, when she got mad, when her emotions became too much, things around her would bend the laws of reality, and before too long her parents went from punishment to banishment. Little Mary's bedroom, after a delightfully strange wildflower growth, was her bedroom no more, the out-of-order chimney covered with curtains. You see, the Travers were too normal, and Mary was not. Eventually, her powers grew too far beyond the muggle's ability to care for her, family or not. But like all discarded things, she found a home of sorts. The East End of London was well known for its orphanages and their less-than-stellar living conditions in some parts of town, but it was there that little Mary would find something that her born-into family couldn't give her. It was warmth, not right away, of course, like all forgotten children, there was a time when her heart felt as bare as the rumble in her tummy, and yes, her story does have some woefully dark moments, but as an old friend was always fond of saying, you know, happiness can be found even in the darkest of times, if one only remembers to turn on the light. The orphanage was a sad, dreary place, but the streets of London, oh, the streets of London were alive. One might think them a dangerous place for such a young little girl, but it was here where Mary was first introduced to magic. Not the concept, of course. 
She'd lived with that her whole life, although she couldn't explain it, but soon came a soot-faced boy who offered her bread and spoke to her about fairy tales, witches, and wizards, saying his family was as chalk full of them. And though Mary wasn't certain what a squib was, as he called himself, he did bring her food, and he did seem to know quite a bit about magic. He introduced her to the chimney sweeps, who would also feed and help keep her safe while on the streets of London. And if she got a little bored or a little mad or a little sad, there was nothing she could do that would chase the boy away. At least not till the year she turned eleven. Bert, the bread-giving boy from the streets of London, had been after her about school letters, about owls and other things she couldn't quite understand but Mary was more concerned with the fingers on his right hand. Bert wasn't popular, you see. He ran with the wrong sort. And, oftentimes, cruelty caught up with his activities. But one day, Mary learned something about herself she wasn't quite expecting. The two of them were walking a bit after sundown when Bert's bullies approached the pair of them, cornering them in a nearby alley. Mary, scrawny and only eleven, alongside Bert, the boy with the broken hand. Only today, Mary, who'd never really known anger and really meant to only stop the boys, somehow found herself facing not three boys as she had been just seconds before, but now faced three rather very confused-looking terrier pups. Now, Mary, occasionally subject to odd, unexplained happenings, was nevertheless shocked. And even more so when Bert, instead of rejoicing, began hauling her hurriedly from the scene of the crime, mumbling about statutes and secrecy and law enforcement, as if coppers would ever believe that she had had anything to do with those three boys being turned as they were. But it wasn't to some hidey hole that Bert took her to. It was to his Uncle Albert's. To understand the importance of meeting this man, you must understand the importance of Uncle Albert, dear listener. Uncle Albert was a short man with a large nose and a jolly disposition, although some might say that had more to do with his fondness for giggle water than any real personality in the man, but we won't get into that. Uncle Albert was many things to many people, but the first thing that Mary learned of him was that he, like she had done that one time when she was three, quite enjoyed taking his tea on the ceiling. The second thing that Mary would learn was that he was a wizard. The third thing Mary would soon learn was that Uncle Albert worked for the ministry. No, not the Muggle Ministry, as Mary also wrongly assumed, but the Ministry of Magic. We won't get into the grand standing of his name or rank or where in the ministry he worked, but let's suffice to say that it was high enough that Mary's unexpected surprise with the Terriers was overlooked. And Mary? Mary suddenly found herself the ward of Uncle Albert, and sooner rather than later was on a train, bound for a school that no one had ever heard of, a school that didn't exist, a school which catered to people, a practically perfect type of people, as Bert always liked calling her. This train, of course, was headed to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and Hogwarts, as I'm sure many of you already know, has always provided a home for those who desperately needed it. Now, dear listener, I could bore you with countless stories of Mary's time at Hogwarts. I could tell you about her being sorted into Ravenclaw and her high marks in Transfiguration and fondness for exploring the castle and grounds. I could tell you of her rendezvous with Bert, her squib friend whose term suddenly had meaning, as did her place in this new world. 
I could tell you of the detention she served, of the reputation she earned, but this story really isn't about that. Mary's story in those intervening years, however, was a happy one. After eleven years of being a misfit and lost, Mary had finally found a home, in Hogwarts, in Bert, and in Uncle Albert. But Mary didn't forget those first eleven years, and neither did her guardian. You see, there were plenty of tea parties on the ceiling, with or without Gigglewater, where Mary worried about those like her, who might not have found their way to their very own Bert or their own Uncle Albert's. Mary worried about how close she had come to never finding Hogwarts at all, and couldn't help but worry about those just like her. So Mary, along with the ministry influence of Uncle Albert, approached the Hogwarts Board of Governors in a strong effort to put more resources into finding other students like her, other children that didn't know who or what they really were. And thankfully, then and there, the board thought no better of a person than Mary herself to lead this ever-important effort, and thus Mary's Muggleborns was formed, a department headed by Uncle Albert, run by Mary, with, of course, the help of her fateful Bert. Are you putting the pieces together, listener? Mary went under many guises and travelled in many circles, but there was always one act that suited her best. What role? better to convince overwrought muggle parents and scared magical children to trust them into her care than that of a nanny? It was, if anything, a very British solution. After all, given the time period, nannies were ever so popular and always needed. And if being born into the Travers family had taught Mary anything, it was how best to be perfectly posh, perfectly prim, and perfectly proper, to be the right sort of person those types would only accept. But as you know, muggle-born children are not like the Travers, and wand, well, wands just might scare unknowing children. Come to think of it, Newt wrote a wonderful expose about public paranoia surrounding unbeknownst exposure to wands. In summary, a witch couldn't just go waving her wand about in public and expecting these misguided young souls to follow. Quite confusing, really. So Mary had to think on her feet and came to the brilliant conclusion that no lady properly went anywhere without her umbrella. Well, if you hadn't already guessed as to the identity of our little Mary, please let me introduce myself. My name is Mary Travers, but I must admit, that was a very, very long time ago. However, the stories of the students we found in those days have stayed with me forever, and it brings me the most incredible amount of joy to share them with you now. Through the Mary's Muggleborns program, we thought it best to quietly introduce the ideas of the wizarding world to muggle society by publishing a children's novel, thus adjusting the children to the idea that magic could be brought to them, making it easier to explain the realities when it was me landing on their doorsteps. You know, Albus wrote to me about the success of my program some years after the introduction of my umbrella, congratulating us on the concept and asking for advice on how functional my one-turned umbrella had been. Come to think of it, I believe he helped one of his own students with a similar idea, but that was many years ago. Anyway, back to my story. Now, when it comes to Bert, he was already keeping an eye out and finding families that needed our help. We worked together seamlessly, weaving tales of wonder and magic, and that was just the sort of thing to catch a child's eye— and soon enough, Mary Travers would soon make Not-So-Little Mary a household name. 
Our dynamic duo soon became recognisable world round, or at least round about as far as the books sold. And boy, did they sell, the proceeds of which only grew the Mary's Muggleborns program even more. And yes, as I'm sure you're wondering, so did the closeness of myself and Bert. I've fielded quite a lot of fan mail concerning that very same subject, so don't think I haven't noticed. Bert and I were quite notably very close. But you must remember, listener, just like communication between the Muggle and Wizarding worlds, that was quite a different time, and a very different world. Many of our younger listeners won't have any idea, but back in those days, marriages between a magical person and a squib was looked upon with the most severe disdain. It was simply not done. But after all, not done meant nothing to me at the time, however it was against the law. Even carrying on with a squib in any fashion outside of well, there were dire consequences, and most usually to the squib, who couldn't protect themselves. So no, my dear listeners, Mary and Bert never did get the happily ever after so many requested in their books, but they did get so much more than many others, a lifetime of companionship, of warmth, and of bringing so many, so many lost souls, a home. I am, after all, practically perfect in every way, and so too was Bert but that's a story for another time. Today's episode was a walk down memory lane, a prequel, if you will, to the many more magical stories to come, for I'm just the prelude to an exciting collection of tales that I was given the greatest honour to help bring about. My life after Hogwarts, my journeys bringing my Muggleborns a home, the collection of my life's work, if you will, has been my greatest joy. These are my stories, but for now, we're out of time. Join me on our next episode as we talk about the wizarding world's favourite confectioner and his supercalifragilisticexpialidocious chocolate bars. This is Mary Travers, reminding you that each and every one of you is practically perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs>